Are you looking for a good book? Then let's talk. Books and Authors is the book show on Futures Television. We bring you the best authors, on a variety of genres. There are so many great books out there, so where do we start? Leave the digging for us. You can watch Books and Authors every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at 2 p.m. Pacific. Hello and welcome to Books and Authors, the book show on Futures Television and on Radio Futures. I am Rom Gaioso, your host. Today, we're talking about gaining market insights from events, a lifetime journey, Dr. Jonathan Kalaf's latest book. First and foremost, thank you so much for your being here with me and my guest. I know your time is very important, and I'm the guy who will make sure it is invested wisely. Remember, if you're watching this show via Futures Television, the home of the future on television, or listening to the show via Radio Futures, the wave of the future on radio, you too can be part of the conversation. This show airs on television every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at 2 p.m. Pacific. And this show is broadcast via Radio Futures daily, also at 2 p.m. Pacific. If you're not watching us live, please join us in our YouTube channel, and that is IMCI Magazine, where we continue to chat about the topic of the day. So uh, let's get going. Let me say a few words about Dr. Jonathan Kalaf, our guest today. So he's a thought leader and an educator in intelligence and in foresight. He's a professor of international business and strategy at the Telfer School of Management at the University of Ottawa. Dr. Kalaf combines research and consulting in competitive intelligence, technical foresight, and business analytics to help organizations develop key insights on their competitive environment. Jonathan has given over 1,000 speeches, seminars, and keynote addresses around the world. He is a prolific author with over 150 publications to his credit. And today, we're talking about his latest book. So without further ado, let's welcome Dr. Jonathan Kalaf to the show. How are you doing today? I am doing good, Ram, and thank you very much for having me on your show. And thank you so much for taking the time. I know it's a very busy time of the year, and uh, you're, you're running around and doing your seminars, plus teaching. And thank you so much for helping the community, uh, all of the CI community. You're always so generous, and this has been uh, a wonderful work that you're sharing with all of, all of us. And I know you work very hard to make all of us improve and you know actually better our CI skills. So again, thank you so much for doing this for the entire community. You're welcome, Rob. And, and just a, a background fact, I wrote about half the book while lying in a hospital room fighting leukemia because I wanted to do something and not just lie there. So this is book's got a lot of a lot of backstory to it. Thank you for that nice bio and introduction. But the thing I'm most proud of, and you don't see that on my bio, is I was just recently named a UNESCO professor in anticipatory systems for innovation and new ventures. So as I talk today, you'll you'll see where the anticipatory system part fits in very nicely with the book. What I think is, is so special about your work is that you work in that intersection between foresight and intelligence, so, or bringing those two together. And I think that is very unique. And I think that's why you add some unique perspective to all of the topics uh, that we cover. And we're going to cover uh, quite a few today. Thank you. And in fact, it's interesting that I'm an intelligence professor at three universities. I'm a foresight professor at two. 
I'm on the editorial board of two Foresight academic journals, uh, two academic CI journals, and the CI magazine. So it's it's when you say bringing them together, that's exactly what I do. And last uh, month, I had uh, the honor of hosting a session with the Association of Professional Futurists, where I brought in a prominent foresight practitioner, Joanna Lukova, and a prominent CI practitioner uh, that talked about what they do. So you could see how they were similar and how they were different. Wonderful. So, Professor, people were afraid to go places during the pandemic, uh, but it seems we're no longer that afraid. So, human was dormant for quite a while. So, will attendance to industry events go back to pre-pandemic levels? What do you think? Ron, you're, you're asking me at the right time. I mean, as you know, I was in Europe last week giving a, a bunch of talks around the book, and I got together with friends of mine in the CI community. Uh, one of them said, I've been to three shows in the last week, and they were packed beyond belief. And you got to remember, human beings, we're pack animals. And as pack animals, we want to be with other people. So the show opens up and everybody clamors so they can see each other. But despite the fact that that is rising and will continue to rise, we've learned that virtual shows have enormous value. And I'm prepared to say they are here to stay because they're now realizing the value of periodic virtual and then the every year big annual conference. Yeah, so those are probably here to stay because there's a lot of uh, convenience. And actually, uh, you made a distinction in the book. So you did not call it trade show intelligence, rather event intelligence. Why was that? All right, because the, what the book is, I mean, again, when you think about what this book is for, it's for anybody that goes to events, not, not just CI practitioners. And when I say events, it's, where am I going to get information where people gather together? I've done it at trade shows. I've done it at conferences. I've done it at workshops. I've done it at parties. In fact, one of the uh, chapters in the book is called Tis the Season to Do CI, fa-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la. And it's about how you could use the office parties as an opportunity to creatively gather the information you need for your intelligence program. Wonderful. And actually, uh, I did not know uh, that about you, but you have been involved in the industry since you were 12 years old. Uh, so that was a, a very interesting revelation for me. Thanks for sharing that. And, and that and that's the interesting part. I started off at age 12 in a booth in my uncle's when he was at the provincial exhibition. Then at 16, I was building booths for the Canadian government. And then at 18, I started managing federal presence at these shows. And here we are, I'm not going to tell you how many years later, and we're gone for cir full circle where I'm now using trade shows to gather information, but I'm still behind the booth for lots of different organizations as well. This is a lot of fun. And that's the wonderful part of it. So uh, in the book, you use the term cooperative intelligence. So what is that? So you're going to see in my book two, two things. One is you're going to see the word friendly is used a lot, and you're going to see cooperative use a lot. And the concept in cooperative intelligence, and, and this really was the term by Ellen Naylor, who's one of our top practitioners, is that we help each other gather, right? You go to a show, you're one person. Maybe you're two people, but you take a look at where you want to go, which events, who, people you want to talk to, and you realize there's not... 70 days of trade show and 24 hours in a day you can work. So cooperative says 
you team up with people, friendly people that like you, care about you or care about your organization, you ask them, what workshops are you going to? What booths are you going to? And then you go, would you mind asking these questions for me while you're at that booth and you're in that workshop? And would you mind taking down this information? And I'll do it for you too. So cooperative is we all help each other. And you know, one show I went to, it was just me and a friend. Uh, by the end of it, I had over 100 people collecting. And that's cooperative intelligence at its very best. Well, that's for sure a force multiplier in the intelligence field, right? Uh, so I had another uh, different kind of question. So uh, you highlighted event intelligence requires a lot of preparation, right? And in yeah. the book, you describe specific steps we need to take for three, two, and even one month before an event. Preparation does start that early. Is that important? Okay, so I, I'm going to put my trade show hat on. Okay, so pretend I'm not a CI person, I'm a trade show person. I am planning a year plus in advance. I'm booking my hotel rooms. I'm making lists of who I want to meet with. Most of the people I deal with have meetings set up at trade shows one year before the next trade show. So they're getting themselves together. It's got to start early for a couple of reasons. One, it's a temporal event. And now there's a lot of references in there to quotes by, by, by Vernon Pryor about how in three days you could collect more than you could collect an entire year, providing you're properly organized. And so you look at this and you go, all right, how do I organize? Well, number one, I got to know what I need to know. Key intelligence topics, information needs. I need to know who's going to be there. I need to approach them in advance and say, would you mind getting together with me? I need to know what information we already have because you've got three days and you don't want to collect something you could have gotten off the website of the customer or the competitor. So you need that planning time. And you also need it because when you plan, you're then going to share the plan with senior management and others and say, is this what we really need? Is there something else that's needed? when I'm at that event or that you need to collect at that event. And so we're doing a lot of work on what do we need and why, uh, what do we already have, where are we gonna get it from, who's gonna be there, what workshops are going on and putting that plan together. I even talk about how you don't want to randomly interview somebody. You don't say I bumped into them. You want to profile them. Profiling takes time. You gotta know how you connect with them or if you don't, do I have a friendly that will connect to them? So when I go four months in advance, uh, no question, you should start even earlier than that. But even if you take these tips and do this the night before, you're doing a better job than most people do. Craig, I'll tell you, I've been to too many shows where people said, I'm glad I ran into you. And I shake my head and go, you're lucky you ran into me, but where was the prep? Why didn't we have something set up? Yeah, so one of the things that I like about your work, and it's that educator in you. So you highlight specific steps and strategies one by one. And I think that's very important, specifically for someone who has not been working in the field. And also for the people who have been working in the field because, oh, you know, I forgot I could do this. I forgot I should have done that. So I think it's great for the people who have no experience. And it's fantastic for the people who actually do. But you know what? We forgot we should have done this, that, and the other. So the vast amount of checklists, strategies, tips you know, uh, that you prepare and share, and that's what I think is different about your work, is that that educator in you comes out and it's very clear. 
uh, that you're very specific. So we're not talking generalities or, or you know, by the ways, but so you're actually giving specific actionable strategies that someone can adopt when they're planning to go to any kind of event. So not just a conference, not just a seminar, but any kind of event, right? You got it. And Ron, you know, when you say it's my tips, I'm a professor, man. Okay. I reference things. Yes. And so when you read in the book, it's not just my tips. We've got, you know, the, we got a, a chapter called formulating your intelligence objectives. And that's got forms from some of the top CI consultants in the field that they use when they go to show You're learning from them. You're learning from top interviewers. You're learning from John Nolan. You're learning from JP Ratazak. You're learning from Ellen. You're, I mean, the list goes on and on where their tips are put in it. I've been very fortunate that many of the senior practitioners in the field have said to me, here's how I do it. Please share that with the world. So it's my experience plus a lot of other people's experience. Wonderful. So you made another very important point in the book, which is communicating our findings. So can you share, you know, what are the elements of a good debriefing session? All right. So there, there's two elements of communication. One is what do I do with HQ and what do I do with the team? So I'm going to deal with the team one because there's a couple of articles about that. I love debriefing at the show. Now, morons, and this is what a lot of people do, and pardon my language, they'll go to a show, they'll issue plans, and then two weeks after the show, they'll get together with the team and say, let's talk about what happened. Okay, that, that doesn't work. Remember, this is a fluid, ever-changing process. Intelligence plans have to be modified if they're not working. So we get together every night, me and the team, and we go, all right, Let's take a look at the intelligence plans. What information did you collect on each one of these kits? Information need one, two, three, four, five. Where did you get it from? Who gave it to you? And did you put it in the database? And then after you make sure that all the data has been captured, you sit around and you go, what is this saying to you? Because remember, I've got kits involving where our customers going to want to go next. What do they really need and why? I got what are the competitors working on? What does it mean to us? And we need to discuss what's coming in so far to figure out, do we still need to collect or do we have enough? I mean, most of my shows, half of the intelligence topics really have been done by the end of the day. We also have to say, are there some kits here that we thought we could do here, but we're going to have to ban them because just no information and things change. Uh, booths don't show up, uh, boothers, uh, speakers don't show up. We got to figure that one out on a nightly basis. And then the third part of that is one of my favorite topics. It's in every one of my trade shows. It's called What's the Bus? People say there's a danger when you're so focused, you miss what's really going on. And so what's the buzz is what are people hearing? What are people talking about? And that might become a new kit for the next day. We then will sit down and go, do we need to change the plans for tomorrow? And I actually do a nightly bulletin that we put underneath their door that says, okay, based on what we said, you go there, you go there, you go to that booth, you go to that show, you ask that question. And so there's a lot of stuff that goes on. And, and it's a way for having the group be involved in all aspects, planning, collection, assessment, really great. Then after we get together, I'll talk to HQ. So I'll say senior management, we're going to talk every day and again, time zones are going to be an issue with this about what our findings are so far and what the buzz is. Do you need us to keep going on? 
Now, Ram, you know this because you've been involved in this field forever. Never has what my client asked for, my boss asked for, been what they really needed. And they say, I need you to get this information about our competitor. I gather it and I say, here it is. And they say, that's not what I asked for. I go, here's your email. They said, you don't understand it. And so if I waited till I got back home to say, here's what I found, what did you think? I'm guaranteeing you it's going to be failure. So instead, I debrief each night senior management and I go, are we on track? What does this mean to you? That means they're involved in the analysis process. Do you have information that will help us? They're now involved in the collection process as well. And so that's the management briefing document. And you'll see it in one of my articles on communication. And this comes from uh, Joe Goldberg. There's a form that they use so they consistently report back to HQ every single intelligence topic. You know, what's the beauty of, of this work is that actually the, the research design live, you know, and, and well and interactive and people forget, well, now we, we write it up and, and this is what's going to happen. Oh, baloney. Yeah. Not really. But, you know, so as we uncover more things and we go back and, and com communicate with, you know, headquarters and then realize that, you know, as you explained so well, it's a fluid situation but you know the more we communicate the better we understand and sometimes half of the questions are not written very well so we have to go back and re-ask the questions and work but that's the beauty of uh, of, of the research design and your set of instructions is so clear about you know uh, this is fluid you know uh, there's there's feedback in there let's keep reworking let's keep relearning and and, and more i guess serendipity uh will will come into place right it will come into play. And, and Ram, I mean, there, there's two things I'm going to say to this. One of them, and you'll love this as a foresighter, shifts happen. Okay, <laughs> you go, there you go. I was careful how I said it. You get to the show and different people are there, which provide different opportunities and different stuff is being talked about. And you go to the poster sessions and you go, oh my God, I didn't realize that company was so advanced in that development. And so you, you got to pivot. And, you know, unlike, I'm going to call it normal intelligence. So in normal intelligence, if I mess up, I'll call the person back the next day and say, what I really meant to ask you was, I'll do another Google search. I'll, I'll do a survey. But again, the trade show is temporal. After three days, I get home. And if I haven't asked the question, I can't go back and do it. And the trade show is where everybody wants to talk. They're friendly. And I can tell you more stories about that when we go on. Story from when I was managing trade show presence. So I had all of these executives, Canadian companies, going to these major shows. My job was to make sure the booths were put up, hold their hands, just manage what's going on. Every show had the same thing. One week after the show, I'd get calls from half the participants. And they'd say, Jonathan, my boss is asking me what I got of value from the show. And I go, and? I was drunk oh for most of the show. Is there anything you can tell me that I can give to them that will make me look good? I, I just sit here and go, why weren't you pre-planned? Why were you just partying the whole time? Oh my God, you gave up an opportunity. So that's why this planning stuff is so critically important, but also the willingness to pivot and change. And that's why the group comes together. And that's where we talk to senior management. Wonderful. So let's change subjects a little bit. And I, I want one of your precious tips. So, so what is your advice on how to look at session, booth, 
in workshop description. So what are we should should we be looking for really? All right. So assuming you have intelligence topics and then next to them information needs and then sources. So we'll properly it'll plan. The normal approach would be you look at the title of the workshop. You look at the description of the booth and you say, does that description match what I'm looking for? Okay, so that's your, that's I call that level one. But then there's levels two and three. So in level two, you go, okay, the workshop title, the booth may not make sense to me, but who's speaking? Who's staffing the booth? Are they people I need to talk to? Because, and I've, I've done this at several shows and several conferences, if I know that the head director in research for the Food and Drug Administration is giving a speech at that workshop, I know that if I show up, I can talk to him after the speech. I know he's going to be, and it's not serendipity. I say, God, I hope I bump into him. The third level is you have to ask yourself, who is going to be at that workshop, in the booth, whatever it might be? Because maybe that's somebody I want to talk to. And many shows I go to now that have workshops and have these sessions actually list who's going to be at that session. And I'll look at that and go, huh, that's a key customer. The questions they ask the speakers will reveal to me what their needs are going forward. Okay, that's great customer insight stuff. My competitors' questions is to validate a direction they're planning to go in. The government's questions are about what people with policy I need. And there they are asking for their information needs and I get to listen and I get to interview them afterwards. In fact, I'll go up and say, and, and again, we gotta be really ethical in this. You tell them who you are, tell them why you're there. And then I'll say, you know, I really liked your comment and your question about da 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 da. You'll mind if I ask you a few questions about it. So again, very ethical, very open approach. But once again, it's because I knew in advance who was going to be there, who I needed to talk to. That's really efficient use of your time. Yeah, and I'm glad you mentioned that. Uh, but and people forget. But for example, several of the large, you know, uh, trade show companies, the professionals like you know, no, Forrest and Sullivan, ICI, you know, Ryan does a fantastic job, and they have like you know, speed dating opportunities. They have like. Uh, round tables, they have like, you know, get togethers, they have coffee hours where, you know, people who are in biotech sit together, people who are in the finance industry, and it's all listed in the program. So if we take the, a moment to realize, you know, perhaps, uh, you know, I will go to this round table and I will do this speed dating and my colleague will do this and she will do something else. Perhaps we can take more advantage of going to those those events because there's so many, as you, you know, and pointed out, there's so many opportunities to interact with people, correct? And Ron, this is where virtual trade shows actually rock because many of the shows I go to have created gamification. And the gamification idea is I'll give you points for every person you talk to, everybody you meet to, every session you go to, and everybody is competing to get those points. So the prizes are minimal, but it doesn't matter. We all want to win. So all of a sudden, People that would not have talked to me normally are going, I need those points. I need those points. And Kaloff has reached out to me. Number two, and I'm not sure, Ron, if you were at the Skip virtual conference the other year, but you could set up round tables. And so I set up a round table 
it's virtual. So everybody attends from wherever they want to be. And I said, let's get together and discuss fill in the blank. And 20 people came and we had such a great discussion. Wonderful. Well, I want to ask a different kind of question. So uh, unlike you that can come out and talk to virtually anyone in the world, you know, some of us are natural introverts and it's very difficult to get out and start conversations with complete strangers. So I have to ask you, so how do you go up to people you don't know and ask questions? So, okay. so what's your secret? So the secret you want for the introvert, you're talking about the secret for the introvert. Most people in the world, depending on the study, are introverts. So there's a few things here, tips for the introverts. And actually this applies to the extroverts as well. Number one, profile the person you're gonna be interviewing. Find out what their likes and their dislikes are. Find out if you've got commonality with them. Find out if you've got a common, I call it level twos and level one LinkedIn connection. And so the best approach, number one, is to say to the introvert, I'm gonna have you interview introverts. And it's not just because you're an introvert, it's because, you know, this is back to the interviewing process human beings, and this is biology, psychology, neuropsychology. Uh, Perry Stackley wrote something for me, and you'll see that in the book. Results in the back of the brain going, I really want to be with you because we're pack animals, but if you're not like me, I'm going to run away or I'm going to fight. And so if an extrovert walks up to an introvert with arms out, let me give you a hug, the introvert's going to run away. They're not going to talk. But if an introvert meets with an introvert, it's going to go well. If an extrovert says, let me pretend to be an introvert, the introvert will spot them a mile away. It will say subconsciously, something is wrong. This isn't adding up. So assign your introvert, first of all, to interview introverts. Profile. Number two, if there is a level one or two connection to that introvert, contact that person and say, could you introduce me to? Let them know I'm looking for them at the show. So a friendly introduction. This is doubly important in terms of the virtual. And number three with the profile, find out where you got commonality so you kind of know how to start the conversation. So, again, you're going to put this all together. I do not advocate acting. I don't. I'd say be yourself. And that leads me to number four, which is assign the right person to each interview. And so once I've done the profile, and I, I've gone to shows where I was the wrong person to interview, and the individual is looking at other people, not looking at me, it's going nowhere. And I said, okay, it's pretty clear to me what the person is this one would rather talk to. And I got one of my friendlies to go in and do the interview. I said, and you can also tell him Kaloff is a little breeze, a professor, doesn't know what he's doing. He's an exuberant little puppy. So you guys can laugh at my expense, bond that way, and then do the interview. So again, that's the careful assignment. So if you're an introvert, for God's sake, do what is natural to you with who you should be interviewing with. And the fifth tip on that one, and this is for companies and this is for individuals. Introverts, it takes a lot of energy to socialize at these events. And so they will be burnt out earlier. So don't schedule afternoon and evening interview sessions. Understand it takes everything they got to get through one or two of these. Use your team wisely. 
So I will share, you know, uh, my experience. And, and many years ago, I learned something from a very good mentor of mine. And he said, you know, the no, you already have. So try the yes. So um, I was just working on my uh, my dissertation and um, I was in a, a WFS World Futures you know, uh, Federation uh, meeting. And it was my my first um, my first presentation in one of such uh, present uh, conferences. And I actually shared that in, in, when I was interviewing Jerry Glenn, who, who heads the, the the Millennium Project from you know yeah a, a world figure. And I approached him and I said, well, I have nothing to lose, right? And I, I wanted to talk to him and approach him. And the guy was just fantastic. He shook my hand, asked questions about me. And as it turns out, you know, he said, what, what are you doing here? And I said, well, it's my first time and this blah, blah, blah in my dissertation. So he started to say, what is your dissertation all about? So he gave me tips and it became a, a, a friendship that has you know, endured the years, but I would never have gotten that there if I hadn't said, hello, uh, you know, I'm Ram, and, 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 and extended a hand and started talking to him. Because again, I already had the no, right? I would try the yes, I have nothing to lose, right? <laughs> and so Ram, you're right. I mean, you never knew this person before, they never talked to you before. Worst case scenario, they won't talk to you, right? So be bold. You have nothing to lose in that respect, but you're at a show. Everybody wants to talk. That's the way they're wired. I've never gone to a booth and said, really cool product and had the person say, oh my God, it shouldn't be there. I can't talk about it. Close your eyes. And you haven't heard. It doesn't happen, but people are afraid. Number two, and this is where the profile comes into play. Ron, you were did the right thing, but if you had the profile, you then would have led with, uh, let's chat about, you know, and fill in the blank. And that's, once again, the more you build commonality, the better. Remember, and, and I love this because it's in the book. Few of the authors have said this. Interview is an exchange relationship. You're not there to take. And if you do that, you'll be known as a taker. Word will spread. It will hurt you and your company. But if you look at it as, I want to make a new friend who's got the information I need, and I got the information they need to be more competitive, Something nice is going to happen. I've actually gone to shows with clients and said, you're going to make 10 new friends in the next three days. You're not going to collect a darn bit of information. Just 10 friends based on your information and insight needs over the next year. And it's amazing how relaxed people are when you don't ask them for information. When you just say, let's have a drink. Let's have a talk. Tell me about what you do. People love to talk about themselves and what they're doing. So, Ron, you did the right thing. Uh, all I'd say is profiling would have been key. And for everybody listening in, remember, it's about building relationships. It's not going in and out really, really quickly. And it's Kent Potter, uh, Nancy Potter, who wrote about that uh, in one of my columns. Oh, I will share one of the boo-boos that happened, and it was unintentional. Uh, <laughs> it was in the Skip conference, I think was uh, 2002. And there was this person who was uh, mouthing off about, you know, the, how technology, big tech companies, you know, work together or conspire together, blah, blah, blah. And then uh, this, after this guy finished talking, he came out and I was talking to someone. I was walking and talking to someone and we're just sharing, you know, blah, blah, blah. You know, let's have some coffee. And then the guy walks into us and goes like this. <laughs> And walks away. And then I said, well, what the heck's going on? And then I saw 
and in, in my name tag said, I, I for 15 years I worked for Intel, and the guy next to me, I look at his tag and says, Microsoft. There you and go. Was, oh, brother, that was unintentional. We didn't we didn't agree to meet, we didn't plan on it. And then the guy looked at us like that's validation, you know. And he walked out and said, Oh my gosh, we, I didn't even know that person. <laughs> but yeah, I didn't even try to explain. I said it would take too long and he wouldn't believe anyway. So, so Ron, let me tell you an Alan Naylor story that matches that beautifully. So Ellen is a one as a solo operator, and again, she's done so much for the field. She goes to a show. She's targeted competitors booth for the company she's representing. She goes in, she's honest with what she's doing. And the person in the booth says, I'm sorry, we cannot talk to competitors. Okay, she's not trying to fool them. She leaves the booth as she should, looks a little dejected. One of her friendlies comes up to her and says, what's wrong? And she says, they can't speak to me, it's corporate policy. He says, I'm one of their top customers. I'm going into the booth right now to ask them questions. You come with me. And so she goes with the friendly to the booth. The person that sent her away looks and goes, basically, crap. I, I got to let you in now. But again, we know who you are. So, yeah, that's, you know, your story is very familiar. And that's back to why friendlies are so valuable to me. Yeah. So I want to go and ask for one of your tips, another one. You know, so you created the 10-step competitive intelligence process. How does that work? Yeah. So how do I put this? The idea when I wrote this book, right, is to, and, and you'll see it, hundreds of tips of how to do a better job. And again, start off where we started from, if you're properly organized, really cool things can happen. And what does properly organized mean? And then that's where back to what you said, pre-planning months beforehand, that's what the 10 steps do. I could, I could have made it 13 and it would have been bar mitzvah, but I made it 10 so I could say 10 commandments. It's a, it's a nice Jewish thing to do. It works very well. And so I said, okay, you've got three phases here. You've got collection plans. So what am I going to collect and why? You know, information needs, intelligence topics, sources of the information at the show, uh, relate your plan to the show, look at the show materials, bring it back into your plan. And now I got a plan, then a logistical plan, right? So just to simply have a plan and say, hey, this is what I'm going to connect. I had, oh God, I was helping the small business. She was a one person army and she was managing a booth and she had her plan and she was excited and it was a great plan. And I said, all right, um, how long is it going to take you to gather this information? And she said, 70 hours. I said, okay, who's working with you to collect it? She said, just me. And I said, and are you doing anything else besides collecting this stuff? She goes, yeah, I'm in the booth. And then she goes, oh, crap. I think we're getting at, I don't have that many hours in the three days, and the booths aren't open for that long. I can make that happen. So the resource plan says, okay, if you really want to do everything specified in the collection plan, what additional resources will I need? What technology will I need? So I'm now thinking about the logistics of making this happen. Start working with your resources pre-show. So if you've got friendlies that are helping you out, or you have assigned personnel from the organization, or you have consultants, you go, all right, I've now got my plan. We have agreement to it. And again, a lot of talk I said earlier about what to do with the plan. Now I'm going to work with the resource. I'm going to work with the people that are helping me, make sure they know the ethics code, 
being very critical. Make sure they know how to collect properly. That's interviewing techniques. And there's a couple of articles on that one in the book. Make sure they know the procedures. Now, when I say the procedures, that comes under the other pre-show logistics. They got to know where to put the information. You know, is it an app on your phone that you drop into the database? Is it Slack? We do a lot of work with Slack where the people collect and just click, 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 go into the right box, put in the information. Do they know how to reach me if they have a problem? Uh, phone, uh, Motorola, walk, you know, walkie-talkies, I've used that as well in some of the show, trade show halls that are really, really well set, that set don't have good sound inside of them. So those are the pre-show logistics. Where's the war room? What do you go afterwards? Where do we go to debrief? Where do we go to analyze and assess? Set up the war room. So if I'm going to do something, and I, I always do it in my hotel room, at the, and it drives the hotel folks nuts. I get a hotel room and I book it a year in advance, because remember, I can always cancel, at the closest venue to the event. And I give everybody on the team my card. So it drives people crazy because you know 25 people are accessing my room, but they need to know where to go. And when I say set up the war room, I got charts on the wall so people can see what's going on in real time. I've got things in the corner so people can get together and chat. It's all set up for real-time assessment, real-time communications, and real-time analysis. And that's the war room. And part of that war room setup, and that kind of leads you into security, is I can't let anybody into that room during the show that doesn't have the card because I've swept the room beforehand just to make sure no one's listening. And I can't guarantee that that room stays clean from a security perspective until after the show. But again, you'll read it in the articles. The night before, so the night before, you know, people say, great, you got a plan, you've thought about what to do with the event. No, I'm not there yet. The night before I get everybody together and I go, let's go through this one more time. These are our kits, these are information needs. And does anybody disagree with it? And we we kill kits, we really do. People come in and say, oh, I've already got that information. Great, thank you very much. Go through the procedure so that they remember where they're supposed to show up, where they bring the information, and once again, the ethics, and I, I keep harping on that. You know, I say to folks, look, it's easy to collect at events. I know there's a temptation to do unethical things. And so I'll say to them, for example, is it okay to listen into a conversation? And they go, yeah, that's okay. So I go, is it okay to hide behind a tree and listen to conversation? Oh, no, that's wrong. I said, we're just talking about radiation here. So I go, what you're supposed to do is when people are talking, Join the conversation. And here's where the friendlies and, you know, and cooperative intelligence comes into play. And if you know what the others are trying to collect, you might see an opportunity where you can help them. And so I was at a biotech show. One of the women, small business, she's in the elevator. She overhears the conversation. It's got nothing to do with her plan, but she remembers from all of us sharing our plans that it had to do with another entrepreneur's plan. And those were the right names. So she quickly looked at the sheets and said, okay, I got to ask them five questions for her. So again, join the conversation, ask for what you need. And that's in the pre-show briefing. And that's also when you deal with any concerns they've got, any problems they've got. And then of course, logistics plan, really, how are we going to collect? Do we have forms to fill it? I, I had a uh, country of origin and uh, a trends kit where I gave everybody task in terms of they had to go to 10 booths in this area 
and fill in a form that says, you know, what what country is it? What are they branding? Uh, a whole bunch of stuff. And you could compare year to year to see where the market was going. That actually was a very fun kit. And the final part of that is saying, okay, I've now taken the time to figure out what I need, how I'm going to get it and where. I've now taken the time to get the right resources into play, bring in the friendlies that I need, start working with them, pre-show logistics. And I'll tell you a fun story back to the friendlies in a sec. Now it's time to talk to them about protecting the information, the security plan. Because while trade shows are the best place for collecting information, they're also the best place for leaking information. And I got to be really careful on this one because I don't want people to clam up. So the easy way is to go before the show, what are the three pieces of information that management doesn't want getting released? There's never more than that. And then you'll tell them if they're ever asked a question about those areas, refer it to me because I can figure out if it's a legit question from a customer or a competitor trying to find out what's going on. Or we've seen governments who've asked the question to then give it to your competitors in that country. So that's my job. We also talk about physical security. Okay, and physical security means where is your information? Do you have your order pads on the desk where anybody can take it? If there is a social event, and I was at another show where there was a nice big party going on at the end, two of our people's computers went missing, turned up the next day, and three pads disappeared. And so I say, all right, do you have a secure location for this stuff? Number one. Number two, if you're bringing a computer, is it a clean computer? Or does it have information on it that if it got into the wrong people's hands could hurt you? Most of the time people say to me, oh, don't worry, I deleted those files. Well, I say, gang, have you heard of undelete programs? Like, for God's sake, bring a clean computer or bring a memory key that never leaves your side. But information security, personal security, information security, this is all the stuff that we deal with as we create these plans. And, and so, Ron, that goes back to your first question. Why do I say start at least four months in advance? Think of everything I've just said. And that's the step-by-step -step organized way to put these things together. And back to the formulating your, you know, your trade show plan, there are some consultants that have 60 things to check off, done it, done it, done it, done it, done it, uh, that lead you through this process. I've also got a uh, CI audit guide questionnaire quiz. It's from an article called now a message from our members that again says, have you thought about this? And so I'm giving an explicit process to make that happen. And now I'll tell you the fun story also why I do that. So I was doing a uh, program in Newfoundland, really nice people, got ocean technology industry, love them to death. Talk about integration and working together. And I said, have you guys put plans together to help each other? They said, no. I said, then tell me if this sounds familiar. You're all going to show up at the same workshop and you're all going to go together as a clump into the next workshop, into the trade show floor. I call it the wet, the, the blanket test. When I was a coach of U6s, so five and six-year-olds, I could throw a blanket and get the entire team, except for the one picking daffodils, out in the field. So I said... Do you do that? And they said, all the time. It's like, I haven't seen you since yesterday. We got to talk. So I go, we need to get our act together before the show. That allows us to get together and talk. That's okay. But also make sure we're all having each other's backs and we're in separate events. So we get as much coverage as possible. And that's part 
of logistical planning. It's really critical to do it in front of them. Rom, I know I talked for a while on that part, but that really is the core. No, no, it's important. Yeah, so I wanted to uh, kind of, um, and you've been talking about it all through uh, our talk today, but I think it's important that we highlight and we point that this is not corporate espionage. We're not spies. We don't condone. There's something called the skip code of conduct. And, and I really, it's really important for us to highlight we don't just walk into somebody else's booth and attempt to extract information at all costs and by any means, right? Can you explain what would be an ethical approach to information collection? So how can we go about collecting information in an ethical way? So there is an article, uh, there's a chapter of the book on ethics, all right? And, uh, you know, Tony, who's a great librarian and SKIP member, she, she did a really cool thing where she overlaid the SKIP code of ethics with trade show practices. So let me start off at the beginning. Trade shows, unfortunately, there's too many people doing what I call blatantly unethical things, if not illegal. They'll have false ID. They'll have cards with the wrong organization. They'll put their badge in places where nobody will look for a variety of reasons. They'll have false badges. And we sit there and go, okay, we've got a code of conduct here. You can't misrepresent what you're doing. You need to clearly identify where you're there. You need to not... <laughs> engage in espionage-related activities. I mean, the skip code of conduct says you can't do anything illegal. And you don't get away with saying, I'm not going to do anything illegal or unethical, but my consultant will. Because the customers, the media, they don't distinguish between the consultant doing something unethical for you, the employees doing something unethical, or your CI team doing something unethical. You're going to get tainted. So I'm going, look, a big unethical is going to kill you. It's going to kill you every time. And I got lots and lots of stories about that. So you sit down and you go, once again, people are there to talk. Figure out how to connect. You're going to make it work more effectively if you know how to connect to people. Contact them in advance. You won't be tempted. Now, I'm going to give you another part of the, the unethicalness. I have a rule in trade shows that whoever I'm representing, my badge says I'm working with them. So they will go, okay, you're my competitor or you're my supplier, I've now got context to talk to you. Okay, so that's ethical. I don't want it to say University of Ottawa professor because that's not my identity for the event. And you'll tell me things you probably should. So there I was at another technology show representing foreign government and they gave me my badge. It said Professor University of Ottawa. I said, I'm not going to wear it. I can't. And they showed me the contract where I pretty much had to. And I said, but I can't. I'm going to blow my, you know, my, my credibility. People will find out. But I said, let me show you why I can't wear it. And so I put on their badge and I walked into the main exhibitor area. I didn't get more than four feet in before I was inundated by 20 or 30 professors who thought I must be an engineering prof from the University of Ottawa, wanted to know about my research, wanted to know what I thought of their research, wanted to know if I know their friend who's a professor in the engineering school or the sciences school. And I turned to the client and I said, it's been two hours and I haven't gotten past the entranceway. That's what happens when I have a badge that misrepresents my identity. Now, in terms of being ethical, being a problem, it's like a chameleon. I, I'll be doing stuff for the Canadian government and companies one month. I'll be doing something for South African government one month. I'll be doing something in the Malaysian government, the list goes on, where we're helping companies. And so one time I had 
just finished with the Canadians at one show, industry show, food. And the next food show I was with the South Africans and the pavilions were next to each other. Well, some of the Canadian companies saw me and said, Dr. Kaloff, we're so glad to see you. We want to talk to you about what we're doing. I said, gang, I'm representing South Africa. Anything you tell me, I might be telling them. Oh, no, you're, you're, you're Professor Kaloff. You're a Canadian. You would never do that. I said, yes, I will. I have to. That's the nature of my engagement. Having warned them about it, they still want to talk to me. And that's back to human networking. So I will always err on the side of caution. Heck, I've had times when people, I've said to people, is this sensitive? And they go, no. And they answer the question. And then I get an email going, I've just been informed it's sensitive. And I delete it. I'm not going to blow a friendship or a relationship for that. And I tell folks this. It's easy to collect. Look at the stories. And that's why the book has so many stories. So you see how easy to collect. You don't have to misrepresent. You don't have to lie. You don't have to steal. You don't have to hide. You don't have to use fake anything. And it's going to work for you. Wonderful. So I, I have a different kind of question uh, for you. And and I know you, you love to talk about this. So let's talk about the cultural differences in information collection. So let's say we're going to a show abroad, a conference. Should we risk using our own approach, you know, which might come out as, as too direct or arrogant, or should we make an effort to adapt to the local culture? So when we're walking, here comes the ugly American who's going to, you know, spit in my face and try to get stuff out of me versus trying to build the relationships. So which way is best? Should we try to be ourselves or should we try to be a little bit more polite and, and not spit so much in people's faces and, and try to, to get along with them first? So, Ron, don't take this the wrong way. People listening don't take it the wrong way. It's great to be Canadian. Because you go up to anybody at trade show, you say you're Canadian, and automatically you think you're a good person, and you're going to go away with anything. I actually was, and you mentioned uh, Rainer's conferences, ICI. I was at one of the conferences. I spoke, and I realized that there was going to be a good number of people not leaving till the next day. And like a good Canadian, I said, anybody that wants to join me for supper, you're welcome to join. And nobody thought I had ulterior motives. So we all got together. Was it culturally inappropriate or appropriate? People want to get together. The other part of that is I got to be myself. If I try to act like somebody I'm not, I'm going to be in trouble. Okay? So I'm not Malaysian. I can't act Malaysian. They're going to spot it a mile away subconsciously, and that's going to muck it up. And then maybe I'm the wrong person to interview. Maybe I need somebody else who is from Malaysia, unless we're getting back to commonalities. The other part of that, though, is be culturally sensitive. And I'll go back to Malaysia in a second. There are certain cultural values that are so entrenched and so fundamental that even though you, you might be Canadian or you might be American, or you might be British, you've crossed a line. I'm going to give you a quick example. There I was at Malaysia at an event. One of my biggest clients was there and she had her little boy with her. He's about six years old and she wanted him to meet me. And so he comes up to me all happy. The North American approach is pat him on the head, say cute little boy. But I know the head over the head is the holiest part of the body. And if I touch the top of his head, I'm done. There's no coming back from that. So I stood still, which is hard for me to do because I coach those kids. I love those kids. And he comes up to me takes my hand and puts it on his forehead. And 
his mom and I have been dear friends ever since. But there's no coming back. And I got stories about other people blowing it on something as simple as that. The lounge in Israel, the Star Alliance Lounge. I was there. Somebody was relaxing. They had their feet on the table. And so the lounge head came over and swapped their feet. He goes, why are you doing that? She said, the heels are going to offend anybody Muslim in here. That's a sign of disrespect. So while I don't want you to act like you're Italian, I do want you to be aware everywhere you go, what are the fundamental rules you cannot break? If language is an issue, get a translator. And you'll ask the questions and it'll be translated into the right language. If it's not an issue, be yourself. If there's an issue, because every country I go to is a different what I call rules of engagement. Who really is allowed to talk to who? So if I understand that, then once again, I'll bring on the right resource to do the interview. Final thing, because Ram, you asked about the foreign shows. A lot of times people will say, I'm going to a foreign show because I need to know about the foreign market. Now that's logical, it makes sense. I go to shows for that reason. I want to know what the market's like in Hong Kong. But the other reason I'll go to an international show is there's somebody from North America that I can't interview. They're so busy when they're at events, they won't answer my calls but they're going to the foreign show. Now, getting back to human nature, uh, we like to talk to people like us. And so the foreigner in Beijing is longing to hear English if they come from North America. I can approach them. I can say, hey, fellow North American, Canadian, whatever it might be, let's have a chat. And they'll be so happy to have that talk. So sometimes thinking about international shows as places to interview those from your culture that you could not get access to any other way. Wow. Um, you know, it seems we had a wonderful conversation today. I want to thank you again, Dr. Jonathan Kalaf. Toda, toda. Thank you so much for uh, your time with me and the audience today. Bevakasha, Rob. I mean, it's my pleasure. And as you can tell, I could talk about this for days. I always say, so gather fun. around the campfire. The old guy will tell you stories. Trade shows from long ago. You know, folks, we're really just scratching the surface here. We can certainly continue this conversation, but I'm afraid that's all the time we have for today. You find a link to Dr. Kalaf's book in the comment section in this video. Again, he so graciously made it free. You can download it from the Skip website. And again, the link will be posted here in the comment section um, of the show. So I want to let uh, just let you know about our schedule you know and by the way feel free to continue to submit your comments and questions on our youtube page i actually know where he is so i will i will track him down and ask the question or deliver the comment or make sure to read and present uh, him dr kalaf any other questions you might have if you are listening to us via podcast or watching this show as a recording via features television or listening to the show on radio futures you can also be a part of this conversation again just visit our youtube channel and leave a comment Please don't forget to share and like this video and please do subscribe to our channel. I'm really counting uh, on you. You can watch the show on Future Television every Monday, Wednesday and Friday, 2 p.m. Pacific or listen to it on Radio Futures daily at 2 p.m. Pacific or bi-monthly. Read the summary at IMCI Magazine. So again, folks, time uh, for us to start saying thank you very much again for your presence and participation in the show. We can always reach out to me or to the magazine, the host, or via Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and YouTube. And I sincerely hope to see you soon 
and I will leave you with our institutional message. Thank you.